All right, just uh, stretch also, and in honor of the word of God, let's stand for the reading of the word as we get ready to look into the word of God. <clears throat> I want to read the first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. We are studying the book of 1 Peter together. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy, and all slander. Like newborn babes, or babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and God, once again, it is a privilege to open the word of God. It is what we need. And I pray, Father, and ask that that would be our desire, that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God and that sword to penetrate our hearts, minds, our thoughts, that it would accomplish its purpose, that the Spirit would indeed help the things of God to be understood, and that, Father, we would be challenged and that it would have its effect in our life. Help us not to resist. Help us not to push it aside. <clears throat> but, Father, to allow it to work in each one of us. And we thank you for the opportunity to study it together now and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me ask a question right away uh, of each of us. What do you crave? What do I crave? What do we long for? What do we have to have? Have you ever craved anything in your life? I remember one time, for example, uh, now you may not crave this, but I remember one time we were in uh, Rome, we were on the tour, and everybody had to go get gelato. And we couldn't get enough gelato. We'd go to one gelato store, then we had to go to another gelato store. And for those of you who don't know what gelato is, it's just an Italian form of ice cream, but it's good, okay? But gelato, um, some of you may crave spinach. I don't know. I don't crave spinach, but <clears throat> you may. But people have cravings. We, and when you have a craving, I want you to think about this. When you really crave something, what happens? Uh, you just have to have it, right? It doesn't matter what it takes. You just feel that you cannot do without it. There's always talk about women when, they, when they're going to have a baby that they have craving for, I don't know why, everybody says pickles, but all kinds of different things. They just have to have it, and it doesn't matter. And what, what's involved in that? When there's a craving like that, you basically do anything you have to do to get it, don't you? You do. You may spend money that you really shouldn't be spending just so you can get it. It doesn't matter. I have to have it. Uh, you may drive long distances. You might not like to drive five miles, but if you have to go 15 miles because that's the only place you can go for whatever it is you're craving, you'll do it. You'll go after it. Uh, you may even go after that to the neglect of other things. Why? Because it, it surrounds your thinking. It, it, it affects your life. It has impacted you in such a way that it doesn't matter. The other things that you thought were a priority all of a sudden are not because you have to have whatever it is. That's what a craving is. 
that's what a, a desire is. Well, I want to ask us today, as professing believers, as a believer, not just as a human being, but as a believer, I want you to honestly ask this of yourself. What is it that you crave? What is it, honestly, as a believer, that you long for? I just have to have it. You say nothing, and you get a problem. As a believer, let me help you out. Hopefully, there should be some things that you really long for. And I would say that the first one is even something that unsaved, people who don't know the Lord, who maybe even call themselves Christians, but they really don't know what Christianity is, or they really don't understand things of God, they probably have some craving for this. The first one should be to know God. As a, as a believer, you say, but I know God. That's, that's how I became a believer. Yeah, but you should have such a craving to want to know him more. That should be right up there at the top of our list. As a believer, what is it that you crave for? Not, and I'm not talking just you personally. But I'm talking about for you personally and your family. And you say, well, I don't have any children and family. And how about the local church? What is it that you really crave? What is it that you crave for your life? What is it that you crave for this church? Do you even think about the church as a whole? And, and your family, what is it that you're craving for? It should be to want to know God. And as I said, many who don't know God, that, that's the desire. Is, is God really there? Can I really get to know them? But sometimes it's not craving the way it is. Second thing that should be there is obviously to glorify God. If you're a believer, <clears throat> you're going to say, I want to crave to know God, and I really want to crave to glorify him in my life. No matter what I'm doing, no matter what my profession is in in the world, no matter uh, what I'm doing for work, my family, uh, whatever, I, I really want to glorify God, whether it be in my music, whether it be in my speech, or, or whatever. I want to, that's a good thing to crave, and we should. And probably another one that's there is, and I hope it's there for you as a believer, is that we want to help others to come to know him, right? We should have this craving that in our heart, I want to just get to know God. That's what, by the way, Paul said, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. You're talking about a believer. A believer saying that I, I just want to get to know him better. I have not attained that which I should attain to yet. He hadn't arrived. And he always looked at no matter what he did, he wanted to be pleasing to God, the apostle Paul said. And I'm just using him as an example. And we also know that Paul had a desire. He had a, this burning desire in his heart for others to come to know his Savior as well. And he was not ashamed of the, the, the gospel at all. And he also went so far to say, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. So we know that Paul had these types of cravings that we should have. And that is great. It's great to have that. But I want to, again, get your taste buds going as to what really is driving you? What do you crave? And if we take that out a little bit further, practically, how will that happen? I want you to think about that. If you don't know, if you're here this morning and you really don't know God, and honestly you know that in your heart, you want to know God, you want to know about him, and you really would desire that, well, practically how is that going to come about? 
If you're a believer today and you say, I really want to know God better, how practically is that going to come about? And I want to glorify God better in my life. How practically is that going to work itself out? And for you to bring others to Christ, how practically is that going to work itself out? There's got to be something else that you crave in your life. What should be the priority? What should be the concern? I want to tell you that <clears throat> by observation and experience, I believe that to accomplish the goals that we just talked about, we should have a craving that's on a regular basis. But for many, I'll tell you that I think this is what it is. I think for many believers, for many, thank, you, thank you so much for even thinking about that. You know what? I have one here. I'm craving for water. This one's cold. Someone just met, uh, met one of my, thanks so much. Mm. I was craving that water. Okay. Uh, someone was very, very thoughtful. Really appreciate that. <clears throat> Eventually it'll work. Okay. But what, what do I observe? What, what are we talking about? I really believe in the fulfillment and the practicality, and maybe I'm wrong, <clears throat> and our, we will get to our text as to what we should be craving. But I think for many, if we're honest, the craving is for evangelism. The craving <clears throat> is for outreach. The craving, pardon me, is for programs. The craving is for meeting social needs of people. It really is. What people are craving and what they're talking about <clears throat> and what they really are driven by <clears throat> is the concept of evangelism or the concept of an outreach. That's, I've heard so much of that. More outreach, 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 outreach. Programs, programs. Sell your programs. Social needs. We're not meeting this, we're not meeting that, we have to meet this. And if you just listen, and I'll start with myself. If you listen to pastors, if you listen to the average professing Christian, if you listen to leaders, that is what is constantly coming out, whether they realize it or not. What? How many professions of faith they had or have? What is the size of your church? Honestly, whether I was traveling on a mission field, foreign mission field, visiting at a conference in this country, in contact with somebody else, one of the very first questions I get is, what is the size of your church? The interest and the speech betrays the craving. It is, what is the size? What is the number of services that you have? How many do you have? My church has three. How many do you have? How many campus churches do you have? How many satellite churches do you have? And that is what's driving everything. It is that concept. And what you hear over and over is the talk of numbers, strategies and growth. And it seems that individually, family-wise and local church-wise, success seems to be built upon, and when I say success, even whether God is blessing. 
People are judging, we are judging ourselves sometimes, whether or not God is blessing, whether or not God's approval is on something, or whether or not someone is successful in their personal lives, in the local church life, in anyone's life, based upon evangelism, outreach, and social activities. Now, we wouldn't go around saying that, but in reality, we do. The result is that strategies, concerns, and even cravings, if you will, <clears throat> become do whatever it takes. Do whatever we need to do to do what? Meet the needs of those who don't know Christ. Or to attract, do whatever you have to do to attract people who don't know Christ to come in. Or do anything you have to do to make them comfortable. Who? The unsaved, because that's why we're here. That's why we're here. It becomes the priority of individuals. It becomes the prior priority of families. It becomes the priority <clears throat> of local churches. And in many cases, what you end up seeing is it results in the lowering of standards in the individual life, the lowering of standards in local church lives, the lowering of everything. The center of attraction becomes the music, the programs, the drama, the entertainment, or whatever it is. The emphasis becomes, and this is the trend today, if you do any reading, not just in the Bible, but of any Christian sources today, you will see that the tendency is, and the promotion is, even by pastors, to reduce the amount of teaching time and preaching time and to increase the activity time and the music time and everything else. Now, I don't think I'm out in left field when I'm talking. And I don't know why I say that. That's the thing that's been around. It shows you I'm 100 years old. But uh, I don't think I'm without touch with where we are today. Now, I want to clarify something right away because you may be sitting here, it may be your first time to the church, or maybe you've been coming and you're saying, this guy's not interested in evangelism at all. I'm out of here. Hold on a second. I want to clarify something. Evangelism is very important. It is. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it says that we are his witnesses. It's talking about the apostles there in that gathering. But the point is, Jesus Christ has left believers to be a witness to the lost. We are to witness to them. In fact, one of the evidences of salvation is not only belief in the heart, but confession is made with the mouth. So we should be telling others about Christ. That's an evidence that you belong to him. That's very important. In fact, we are going to learn in this epistle, and by the way, this is a two-part message, this, you are going, we are going to learn in this uh, epistle together later on that he says you ought to be ready to give an answer to anyone that asks you the hope that is in you. If there is a real hope in you and you belong to Christ, you had better be ready and equipped right now when you walk out of these doors to give somebody an answer. It's because they saw something different. And they want to know what it is. So you better be ready to evangelize. You better be ready to preach. As I already quoted in Romans chapter 1, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I should not be ashamed of it. You should not be ashamed of it. Why? It is the power of God 
unto salvation to everyone that believes. You and I have the good news. The world needs that good news. What? Stats off bad. We are all lost and sinners. But if anybody's honest, as they examine their life, they know they are. Well, fine. How can I remedy that? By religion? By church? By good works? No. Only God can remedy it. He's already done it. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was without sin, went to the cross of Calvary in obedience to the Father's will, bore the penalty and price for sin. It is already paid for. He rose from the dead and is now at the right hand of the Father. And now through faith in that work, in that work alone, that person and all that he accomplished on the cross of Calvary and in the resurrection, by personal faith in him, you can have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. Amen. That is good news. We have that. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. And Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark 16, and uh, just to simply say what it says there, uh, as we read in our English Bibles, we had to preach the gospel to the whole world. So I am not de-emphasizing evangelism. I don't intend to do that. I think it's a big part. But is that really what we should be craving? By the way, if that's what Jesus should have been, be, uh, been craving, if I understand the scriptures, and I think I do a little bit, I think he failed. In fact, on one occasion, he had somebody come up to him and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what must I do to be saved? And in those occasions, they went away unsaved. So he failed, if, that was the, if that's what he should have craved. He had, but you say, Pastor Dan, he had thousands of followers. Many followed him. Yes, why? Scriptures tell you, because of the miracles that he did. And then when he challenged them with eternal life and sin and the issues of life, they went away. And when many followed him, you read in the scriptures, he did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in man. When you look at his life, how many really did he have? Twelve, and one of them betrayed him, and the others walked away from him. So I guess as an evangelist, he didn't do too well. I would never say that of Jesus Christ. The point I'm trying to make is, was that really what his emphasis was? If you look at the early churches, all of the early churches had problems. For some others, it's not evangelism. It's like I said, the craving, what they really crave and what really is the priority to bring about glorifying God and knowing God and bringing others to Christ in their life is social change. Let's change the government. If we only had a different president, if we only had, rather than a Republican uh, government, some other type of government, if we change the government, if we change the economic conditions around us, everybody will be happy and we'll see people come to know God and, and that's what we need to do. Maybe if we just change the environment. You know, we've, hit all, we've heard all about it getting warmer, melting, then it gets colder and one doesn't know what the other's doing. If we just change all the pollution, and I'm not against any of this, by the way, either. Let's just change the physical well-being. Let's emphasize more exercise, better diets, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Is that what you're craving as a believer? Is that what we ought to crave? And I'm not saying, for example, you shouldn't have walks for cancer. That's fine. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to improve the economy. It's a good thing to do. Or we shouldn't try to watch what we eat or improve our health. 
All of that is good. But again, I'll tell you this. If that's what our craving should primarily be, Jesus failed again. He didn't change the Roman government. In fact, he submitted it to the point of crucifixion. He paid his taxes. Isn't that interesting? His interest wasn't that. And if you think about the environment, just for a moment, he didn't call in waste management. Seriously. His concern was not the waste management. And if you don't think they had a waste problem back then, they had a huge waste problem. In fact, in the area of Guyana that we read about in the scriptures, they was burning there and pollution with smoke was filling the air every day. And his ministry wasn't, let's just get rid of this smoke. He actually, when he used reference to that, talked about hell. He didn't change the dietary habits at all. That was not his interest. People needed bread, he gave them bread. He didn't worry about how much sugar was in it. And by the way, that is not a put down. It's just, I want you to see the reality. He didn't turn around and say, give them fish because I know the oil is going to help their heart and that's why I'm giving it. He gave fish because it was available. And other occasions, there were other things that he ate. And then he even talked about eating meat. And by the way, to the extent in the New Testament said that whatever God has created, eat it to the glory of God. So I want you to think about that. Did he do a lot of miracles? Absolutely. Why he did those miracles was to authenticate who he is. And this is all introductory. That's why I said it's two parts. Why? It's very important, I think, for us to go back to the original question. What is it that we are craving? Should we be interested in evangelism? Yes. Should we be in, in, interested in having social change that affects our life? Of course. We're not against that. But is that really to be our craving? Is that to be the primary thing so that we can get to know God, listen, so others can get to know God, and thirdly, so that I can glorify him in our life? I don't think so. I think Peter understood the human heart, and I think he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he got it right. So let me answer the question. What should be our priority? What should I be craving as a believer? For me, for my family, and for this local church, and for believers universally. I'm going to give it to you right away, and then we are going to expound the text, which is why it's going to take two weeks. Here it is. What do we need and what do others need? Here it is very simple. The unadulterated word of God. You say, that's your opinion. Really? Take a close look at verse 2. Like newborn babes, long for, crave for the pure milk of the word. I will expound that to you in detail later. But I want you to get it right away. We ought to crave. Why? Why do you think we need to crave for the unadulterated word of God? Why do I need that as a believer? Why does the unbeliever? Let's start with the unbeliever. You know why? Faith comes by hearing, and guess what? Hearing by the word of God. You don't preach the word of God to them, they will not get saved. Why? 
Because it isn't our philosophy. It isn't the library books that are going to change their life. It isn't dietary change. There's been all types of governments in this world, and right now there are all types of governments going on, and look at the mess we're in. There are all kinds of diets, there are all kinds of exercise going on, and look at what still happens in this world. Environment can be changed and we can do all kinds of things. We can have all kinds of social programs, and we do. And people are still opposed to God and dying physically and then going into a Christless eternity. What will change that? The unadulterated word of God to go up to a people, and by the way, you know me by now, most of you, I don't care about political correctness. And why say that? That's dangerous today to say. It really is from a pulpit. But I'm not concerned about it. Why? Because I know that what the world needs to hear is that they are lost and dead in their trespasses and sins. And the only one that can help them is Jesus Christ. And what they need is the word of God to tell them that all men are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come unto the Father except it be through him. That is good news, not bad news. And unless they get the unadulterated word of God, not watered down to try to attract them in, but to be told exactly the way it is. Listen, you are not helping somebody who is a drunkard to say he's got a disease. The way you're helping a drunkard is to say, you know what? You're a drunkard because you desire it, and that is sin, and you're going to possibly take somebody else's life in a car or whatever. It's wrong. And what you need to do is repent from your ways. You don't need to go up to a murderer and say, it's an accident, it's somebody else's fault. No, you committed murder, and it's wrong. It's sin. They need to hear the truth. What about believers? The only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to be nourished, as you will see as we expound this passage, is for the unadulterated word of God to get into our life and say, you're the sinner. You're the one that's not right. You're the one that's got this in your life. And, and as God uses his word in our life for us to grow. Listen, let me try to, again, prep you all in this introduction here. Isn't it true there's nothing worse than looking on the TV screen or on a computer or wherever it is today and you see this young child that's malnourished and they're all shriveled up? It's horrible, isn't it? It just makes you cringe. Why? You've got a child that's getting no... What does that child need? Food! There's also nothing worse than seeing a believer who's been saved a long time, who hasn't grown up spiritually. Nothing worse than seeing adult believers playing Peter Pan. I won't grow up. I don't want to take responsibility. I don't want to serve. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And they make a profession of faith, and all they are is little Peter Pans that are unnourished. 
There is nothing that's more sad than to see believers tossed to and fro because they don't know what they believe or why they believe what they believe. And why is that the case? Because pastors, teachers, and churches are not feeding the flock of God. Their ultimate concern is evangelism. And they don't, as long as they get a bunch of babies, they don't care if they stay babies the rest of their life. Listen, if you're a believer, the day's coming, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the concern ought to be your soul that you're growing as a believer. I want to make this practical. I want you to know that I received a recent phone call. It's true. I received a recent phone call. I answered the phone. I had no idea who it would be. Got on the phone, started talking with this person. The person was in another state, just so you know. And it wasn't New Hampshire and it wasn't Massachusetts. It was in one of the United States, far away from here. And the person called me up. And I want you to know this. This is a person that's a professing believer and is a follower, does not attend, but is a follower of one of the largest, quote unquote, Christian churches in America. And if I named the church, you'd know who it was. I was curious as why they get the phone call. And here's what the person said. The person said, look, Pastor Dan, and I knew them and they knew me. I have this circumstance that come up in my life and I have these people in my life and I don't know where to look in the Bible to help them out. Can you give me some verses? To, I was shocked. This is someone that's made a profession of faith for over 20 years. I was shocked. And I thought to myself, and I said to the person, I said, do you attend the church? And they said, no. I said, how in the world are you going to get help from that church if you're not even attending? But I said, secondly, what is that church teaching you? You follow them every day on the internet. What are they teaching you that you've been 20 years, you don't know how to get verses out of scripture or where to go? By the way, the person was very grateful when I was all done. That's a true conversation that I just had recently. Let me give you another one. I was in a conversation with some other professing believers. I'm going to church anywhere. I'm going to church anywhere. Everyone else is wrong. They're right. Really? Where's the fruit in your life? Where's the fellowship of other believers? Where's the commitment to local church leadership? Where's any of that? Let me give you a third one. These are all just recently within the past two weeks that happened to me. Someone spoke to me and said they were willing to have their family, listen, go underneath the teaching of another place that happens, by the way, to be false teaching. Simply because their children were under the right programs. And by the way, the teaching was Roman Catholicism. Rather than be under this teaching, they would rather have them, and it's nobody that, by the way, attends this church or was attending this church. It was a phone call for advice, talking about them. And I pleaded with them, but their, the point was they were willing to let their children go under that teaching because they had the right programs. 
Folks, those are illustrations of what I'm talking about and why people need the word of God. This is why Peter's going to address it. There's nothing worse, and that's what was addressed in the book of Ephesians, to see people that are saying they belong to God, they're tossed to and fro, they don't know what they believe, why they believe it, they have no discernment, they cannot even make decisions every day in life biblically because they have no knowledge. Why? Because they're not spending time in the word of God. And some of them are going to church for 20 years. And they just haven't got it. Why? Because they've been craving all these other little things. Programs, social change. They've been, they've been craving these. And now when they're into the nitty gritty of life and decisions, they're now seeing how it affects them because they don't know where to go or what to do. Just think of the Corinthian church. All the problems they had. There were so many things. Beloved, we should be craving for ourselves, for our families, and for the church of Jesus Christ and for this local assembly that we would know the truth and we would understand the word of God and we should crave it. We're not talking about being scholars. We'll see that as we expound it. And that's what Peter's going to say in this text. To put it in his context for those who have not been here, Peter's been encouraging believers who are facing real things in life. They're facing trials. They're facing even persecution in this church. And in chapter 1, because it's been a while since we've been in it, in chapter 1 he reminded them they're strangers. Look, at you are aliens. You're strangers to this world. That ought to say something to us. Don't get caught up in the world. He says that you can look at it. I'm not going to repeat all the verses. Right there, chapter 1, verse 1. He said they were aliens. They were strangers. We need to understand that's who we are. We need to remember what God did. What? We are born again. I heard on the radio again, somebody said, born again Christian. There, are, there is no other type of Christian. You're either born again or you're not. We use Christianity in the United States of America like it's ice cream. You know, everybody's a Christian. Not so. A born again Christian is one that has been given new life by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in chapter 1 throughout that chapter, God caused us to be born again. If God doesn't cause it, it doesn't happen. So God caused us to be born again. And the reality is that we are going to be in battles every day. So how are you going to be prepared for the battles? You need to have the word of God working in your life. And he's called them recently in chapter 1, verses 13 to 25, he called them to holy living. You are to live your life before the world so they will see you. And remember what he ended with. And we'll see this in just a second. He ended in chapter 1 with the exhortation that what? What every Christian talks about. We ought to have fervent love for the brethren. And if you've been away on vacation and didn't get that message, I would encourage you to go listen to that one online of what true biblical love is when I preached on that. Because that's what he's called them to. Look at it in verse 22. He said that they are to purify their souls for a sincere love for the brethren, brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And that's what leads into chapter 2. He's just told them to love one another. And as he's told them to love one another, he's going to come to a conclusion. Chapter 2, verse 1, we finally get to the first word. Verse 1, therefore, it's a conclusion. Because they were born again by God, 
Because they've been called to love one another. Look at this also. Watch. Because the word of God is living. Look at verses 23 through 25. For you have been born again, not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable. This body dies. But that through the living, watch, and enduring word of God. And then he goes on. Jump down to verse 25 for a little time's sake here. But the word of the Lord, what? Endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. That's how they get saved. That's how they come to know Christ. He's talked about the fact that they're born again. And it was done through God working through the word of God. And that's how they came to it. And the word of God is living. It's powerful. The living God, the living word of God will live forever. And he drops that right into chapter 2. And we're not going to get to verse 2 this morning. That'll whet your appetite for next week. But he's going to tell them that they ought to desire the word of God because it's living. They ought to desire the word of God because it's going to change. And we'll see next week. There's a difference between being called to scholarship. That's not what he calls them for. And I'll give you a little heads up. This is for all believers. He is not calling them newborn babes. Because they're not. We'll see that next week. But he's calling them to the very fact that their priority should be something. And so what is it? Well, here's the three points of chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. One, there are things that should be gotten rid of. Secondly, here's what you are to desire. That's verse 2. And then thirdly, here's what they need to remember. That's verse 3. So let's try to get through verse 1 very quickly here with what are we to get rid of? And we see it right away. These attitudes. It's interesting because he begins with the negative, but you can't get to verse 2 until you get through verse 1, at least if you're going to exegete the passage properly. The conclusion is, because they are born again, because they are to love fervently, he says this right away in the negative. Put aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisies, and envyings, and all slander. We need to get this this morning. Why begin with the negative? I'll tell you why. Listen carefully. Because these attitudes and these actions will destroy Christian love. Did you hear that? These are the actions, these are the attitudes that destroy Christian love. They have been called to love one another fervently. What does love look like? That was the last time. It's kind. It doesn't think badly of the other. It doesn't seek revenge. We saw all of that out of 1 Corinthians. And what the brethren were called to do is let those actions be like that toward one another. That's where Christianity starts. How? In loving the brethren. In our attitudes toward the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where it starts. He's not going to deal with the unbeliever until chapter 2, verse 11. I started out with the men yesterday. That's where he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers, you can look at verse 11, and he's going to go on and talk about how to act toward government and everything else. But he starts with the brethren. And if you want to be living as a stranger and an alien and loving fervently, the first thing is put these things aside. Now listen very carefully to what he's not saying in verse 1. He's not saying fight against these things. 
He's not saying, look at believers, take up a fight against uh, hypocrisy, deceit, and envy. No, he's not saying that at all. He's not even saying to hate them. He doesn't say, therefore, hate malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Obviously, we should. What is he saying there? He's saying, put them aside. What? Get rid of them. Get rid of these as believers. Get rid of them. Do not, it's like it says in Ephesians, do not let these things, listen, be named once among you as they have become saints. Put them off. This putting off is a picture of taking off clothes and putting on new ones. People know that. I want you very quickly, uh, there's several texts, but let's just keep your finger here for a second. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see it's a common expression that, that is given in the New Testament. I'll just look at two. But Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to see it. Watch. Turn there on your computers or turn there with your Bibles uh, that are in paper. But by all means, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Look, in chapter 4, look at verse 22. He says that in reverence to your former manner of life, he says, lay aside the old self. It's the same thing. Put it away. Now look at what he says. Which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Look at verse 24. Put on the new self in the likeness of God. Right? Now go with me to Colossians chapter 3 just for a second. Nearby. Just to see a couple of verses on this. So you see it's a very common thing. Colossians chapter 3. Watch verse 8. This really relates to what we're talking about. In writing to the believers at Colossae, he says this. But now, verse 8, you also put them all aside. He's talking to believers. What does he want them to put aside? Anger, wrath, malice. Does it sound like 1 Peter? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. He's talking to believers. And before he talks about our craving for the word of God, he even says, look, put these things away. Get rid of them. It's that picture. When a person is born again, he has been changed or she has been changed from the inside out. And you expect to see these changes. And when you see a baby come into the world, and recently I had a new grandchild, as you know, you see the baby develop. And by the way, it is because of the milk, and we'll refer to that next week. But you, see, you expect to see the baby walking and talking and crawling, and these things happen. These sins, go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, listen carefully. It is these sins that tear away at the church of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? He says, therefore, because the word of God is living, because you are a born-again believer, let these things be put off. All malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envying, and all slander. Why? They tear away at the church of Jesus Christ. They are contrary in the context, folks. They are contrary to brotherly love. I want you to get that. We think that a church is not loving or a believer is not loving or a family, Christian family, is not loving if they require discipline. 
if they are requiring of others responsibility, if they are just requiring accountability. That church is not loving because they point out your sin. That church is not loving because they require certain things of you, and it's a to-do list, and, and they're not a loving church. Or they spoke harshly to me when they talked to me about the truth. And often we think when we don't get our own way that another believer or a church or the church of Jesus Christ is not loving and the world can see that and that's what destroys love. That's not what the scriptures say. The scripture says what destroys love is when you don't put off these things. And it's a very brief list, by the way. There's only five items. And so that you get it very quickly, because I need to move along and I want to get onto the positive next week, you need to understand that when you said, Pastor Dan said all hypocrisy, the last three are plurals in the original language. So it says all malice, but for example, hypocrisies, it's plural. So he's talking about all forms of all of these. And what's he saying? This is what will destroy Christian love. This will, is what will destroy the love of the brethren. What is it? First of all, malice. Let me quickly touch them. What is that? It's desiring harm to somebody else. What will destroy the Christian love? What will destroy the church of Jesus Christ? What will destroy our walk with, with Christ? It is desiring harm, getting revenge on other believers. Or even worse, malice, trying to hurt them. I'll get that believer. I'll show them. I'll show that church. We'll bring them to their knees. That's malice. That is what destroys Christian love. Not the very fact that somebody went to somebody else and said, you know, you need to be serving. That's not loving. It's malice. I'll bring them down. That's what happens in the Christian life. You think about that yourself, never mind anybody else. Have you ever thought toward another believer, they'll get this. I can't wait till they get this. In fact, I'm going to make sure that I make sure they get theirs. Or toward a church. Or toward a group of believers. If that has been in your heart, that is malice, and that is what destroys Christian love. You are claiming they're destroying it. You are destroying it. Deceit. All forms of deceit. I'm going to do these quick. Not really give it what I probably should. Dishonesty. Deception. Trying to help others when you really have alternative motives to get what you want accomplished for you. That's deception. Baiting other people with a hook. That's the idea. You bait other people along because you've got this little thing that you want to make sure everybody else gets. And you're on your little hobby hoss. And so you come with deceit and really it's destroying the church of Jesus Christ. Peter starts by saying this. Since you're born again and since you're supposed to be involved in fervent love, he says get rid of all forms of malice. Get rid of all forms of deceit. Have you ever, have you ever done this to anyone else or had someone do this to you? They act like you're being your friend when their whole point is to destroy you or you to destroy them. That's deceit. And you know what? 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We can sit here today and I can stand here today and we can think about others when in reality it's right here with us. We're full of malice. We're full of deceit. Peter says, put it all off. Hypocrisies. Remember what he said in chapter 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 22? What did he say? He said, sincere love for the brethren, fervent love for one another from the heart. Don't wear a mask and be, pretend that you're loving somebody when you're really not loving them at all. I'm just doing this to help you out. And deep down in your heart is, I hope this hurts. You don't think that happens, by the way, this malice or hypocrisy? Let me give you something that happened to me one time. I was in a meeting with an individual. This is not a recent thing. This is way past. But I was in a meeting with an individual, and the person said something. And the person had the gall, if you will, to turn around right in the meeting and say, you know, I want you to know that I said that because my intent was that it would hurt you. That's malice. And that person was coming to talk to me about my lack of Christian love. And they were loving? Have you ever done that to one of them? Have you done that on this side of the church to someone on this side of the church? Have you done it to somebody else where you saw that you weren't getting your way or they weren't doing what you wanted, so you were hoping that their ministry in the kitchen or ushering or whatever it is would fail? Or that they would get back? Envy, tough one. Resenting others. Yeah, look at the job they got. Look at the house they got. Look at the new car they got. Look at the, you know, I'm trying to make it very practical but it's look at their ministry, look at that. And, and what happens is you're envious of it. Listen, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. Someone gets an award. I try to tell my children that. Someone gets an award. You should be rejoicing in them. Sure, you didn't get it, but rejoice with them. Don't you want them to rejoice with you when you get it? You see a blessing in somebody in the church. Do you react with envy or do you react with praise the Lord? Look at the way that person's being used or is it, oh, no, no, you don't really know the story because you're envious of what's happening. Or somebody's successful at something and so you'll do anything you can to pull their ministry down, which leads right into the last one, and I have to finish with this. It doesn't sound pleasant, but it's a reality of what Peter addressed. And what is it? Slander. These are the things that destroy Christian love and destroy the body of Christ. It's malice, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and deceit. What do you mean, slander? False stories. Have you ever started a false story about somebody else you didn't just know, but you heard from somebody else, and then someone comes to you, oh, who told you that? Well, so-and-so told me. You're part of the slander. You're part of the gossip. You're part of the backbiting, and so am I when I do that. Defamation of another person's character. That's what this is. This isn't me, this is Peter. He says, therefore, because you're born again, Put off every single form of slander. Because when you do, you've destroyed the church of Jesus Christ. You've done it. I've done it. You say, well, I really haven't defamated somebody's character. Have you ever given innuendos? Have you ever had situations where you insinuated something that you wanted the people to get across, but you really didn't know? That's what he's talking about. That's what the word means. 
That's what it means. You see? What are we saying? I'm trying to encourage you with this. You say, I didn't do a good job, Pastor Dan, today. <laughs> Peter is telling us that we are to desire something, and it's next week. We are to desire the sincere milk of the word. But before we do that, we have to take a step back and say, if I'm born again, and I'm to be involved in Christian love, I need to understand, and that's why he attacks the negative first. Get all of these things out because the church of Jesus Christ will be destroyed. How? Why do you think the Ephesian saints were called aside and Paul pleaded with them? Watch out for false teachers, but listen, of your own self. Men are going to rise up and cause the division. And how do they do it? Through malice, through deceit, through hypocrisy, through slander, and through envy. All in the guise of Christian love. You see, we get it backwards. And the desire is the challenge to all of us here today. And I have to close. If you are without Christ, we have some good news. You need to desire the Bible. Let me tell you that why. If you've never opened the Bible before, desire it because in here are the words of eternal life. And you'll come to know the one true God. Believers, we're going to see next week, desire the pure milk of the word that you might grow. But you know what? If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you ought to be involved in fervent love. And that means that you take off all of that former life, which means malice, deceit, envy, slander, and what was the one? And hypocrisy. It's easy to see it in everybody else, and it's very difficult to see in ourselves. Folks, we need that in the church of Jesus Christ. If we want to see us right here, me and my family, this church loving one another like we should be in fervent love, there is no room. He didn't say hate it. He said, don't let it be named once among you. Put it away forever. Don't be slandering anybody. Don't be envious of anybody. Don't be a hypocrite when you go to people. Don't be a deceitful person. And don't have malice. Because if you do, you're the one that's going to destroy the love that should be there while you think it's everybody else. My God help us as believers to take that to heart but be encouraged. What we want to do is desire the sincere, unadulterated word of God because that will help Pastor Dan to grow. And if you're here visiting and even you're searching church, and let me say this, if this isn't a church you settle in, that's fine. But you better be in a church that is going to feed you the word of God unadulterated. Unadulterated, not on hobby horses, but that will tell you the whole counsel of God that will let the church of Christ serve with their gifts the way they're supposed to serve and isn't even trying to push an agenda because that's what we need to grow as believers. Let's close in prayer. I went a little over my apologies in that sense, but let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for Peter. I thank you for his heart, for the people of God, for his desire to see these people who are suffering, these people who are facing persecution, trials to really understand and know their walk. I thank you that he was talking to people that were truly born again. And Father, sometimes it's hard when the negative comes across, 
but help each one of us in this room to examine ourselves. At any time, have we had that in our life? Is that there now? Malice, envy, strife, slander. And I pray, Father, that it would not be named once among us. We confess that and move on. And I pray, Father, be anybody here that does not know Christ, you'd help them to see that they need the word of God because in it we hear the good news. The good news that salvation is provided in the Lord Jesus Christ, and might they come to believe it. Thank you for this time together today. We pray you'd guide us as we leave. Help us to represent you well. Be with the meeting tonight. We ask you all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. What?